Hello, hello. Money, 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 money. Money, money. <laughs> uh, Today we're going to talk about money. <laughs> if that was That's it. We're done. Yep. No. Oh, there you go. That was it. Um, I don't know why when you said that just now, the Monopoly guy popped in my head. Just yeah. instantly. The little money man. Yeah. You know who that money man is? No. That money man is... Is actually the Pringles guy? J.P. Morgan Chase. Oh. J.P. Morgan, which the bank, he bought Chase later and became J.P. Morgan Chase. But J.P. Morgan, I see that was based after. Wow. I'm almost sure. I'm going to look it up just now. I didn't know that. I'll pass on. Who is the Monopoly man? Facts. Um, So today we're going to be talking about money and banking and, uh, you know, what is it other than just paper? Because we all know that... The American dollar is not based on gold anymore. Um, you know, when when I was in school, that's basically what they told us. Like, you know, oh, you know, the reason you can't print more money is because money is based on gold, um, which obviously is not true. So it's not based on gold anymore. So why, you know, brings the question is that, well, if we're in debt, then why can't we just print more money? You know, so, and, and it also comes into question too, is that a lot of our money is electronic and other than numbers on a screen that say you're in debt, it really doesn't exist. Right. Um, so there's like a lot into this topic. Well, I got started about. thinking about it because, um, you know, with the coronavirus and all the stimulus packages that are being passed and, um, you know, we were talking about it around the house and, and uh, your brother said, well, you know, this is going to cause a big collapse and, you know, and a second depression, another depression and all this and, I said, okay, but let's stop and think about this for a second because there's money and then there's stuff. You buy stuff with your money. But um, let's say all of our money around the world just turns to shit. The same amount of stuff is still out there, right? Right, exactly. Stuff is still stuff. So... Why do we give a shit about the money? Okay, and so uh, <laughs> preface for this conversation, uh, we, none of us smoke weed, so uh, <laughs> maybe we should. Yeah, maybe I don't know. We should try that one night. Just smoke a bunch of doobies and do a podcast. Like the, I'll, I'll be honest, the only few times I've ever smoked it, I was also shit faced drunk, so I can't really delineate like what was the drunkenness and what was the. Oh, you know, dude, weed. every time I ever smoked weed, I instantly went into, like, panic mode. It never worked the oh, way... How do people say that? Yeah, no, it never worked the way that everyone yeah. uh, told me it was going to work. So I never had a good experience with that. But it's funny that in high school, everyone always thought that I was a super big stoner. And I don't know if it was just because I had super, super long hippie hair and was, like, obsessed with the Beatles. Like, I kind of had a hippie thing going on for a few years. Um, or if it was the fact that I say things like that like dude what is even money <laughs> like like we don't even need money money's and, just like paper dude and they're like wow you're fucking fried out i'm really not and obviously i don't think that we need to give a disclaimer of any kind that we know nothing about money because we's a poor we poor folk but listen um so when the 2008 collapse happened, like I lost my retirement in that shit. And it wasn't a huge amount. It was like 30,000 bucks. But like when you're sitting there putting your paycheck money into it, like this is for my retirement and everything. And then you just, it's just like wiped out. You're just like, how did that shit happen? And then like in the year, a couple year, maybe a year, I'll say a year before the collapse happened, I kept getting these letters in the mail. Like, 
your mortgage has been sold to this such and such company. And I was like, that's really strange. So I'd open the mail and it'd be like, the terms of your mortgage will remain the same, but it is now owned by so-and-so. And I was like, is this normal? Like my house has been sold like six different times to six different people and they're saying nothing's changed. So why does it keep changing hands? So there was like some shady precursory shit before the stuff happened. So basically like, and when we were talking about the money thing last week, Sean's like, well, the reason it matters is because if our money isn't worth crap, we have to have more money to buy the same shit. You do understand that, right? And I'm like, well, listen, I don't know much about money, but I'm going to find out. So, and of course, you know, you go back to your school days, right? Where they told you, okay, that before money, we were all on a barter and trade system. This is what they taught us in school. So, hey, I got two feathers that real look real nice on a piece of jewelry. And I need, uh, you know, an animal hide. You want to trade? Like, that's what they more or less kind of put it out there. Like, if you need a tool, you would trade an animal. Like, everybody was, like, in some big marketplace, like, swapping goods. Like, the bots. Like, yeah, I want your daughter. I'll give you eight goods. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that should happen, too. <laughs> so, that apparently has turned out to not really have much evidentiary support because I started with that when I started like looking this stuff up and writing it down. And then I found this article in the Atlantic where it talks about how, um, you know, anthropologists and archaeologists have looked for physical evidence to substantiate this whole transactional barter system. And what they found out is that it more or less didn't work like that. We're so used to thinking I give you X number of dollars and you give me this thing I want to buy that we were envisioning the barter system as being like that. Like one thing for two things or whatever. We negotiate the price, but pretty much like it's a trade that's happening like in real time. The problem with the thought of that is that a lot of primitive culture was farming. So when you're talking about buying crops, like the crop ain't going to be ready for a while. So if you're a farmer and you're planting your stuff, but then you're going to need stuff in between while your shit's growing in the field, you still need stuff. So you can't just go out and say, Hey, I'm going to give you so much wheat for that cow because you don't have the wheat yet. The wheat is like yet to be harvested. So it was more, and I know all the capitalists are going to freak out over this. It was more like socialism. We all like said, hey, you know, when my crop comes in, I'll give you so many bags of wheat, but right now I need this. It was kind of a trust thing in your community. Like, and people gave things for IOUs. Um, I guess the Chinese, the first coins they made were in the shape of tolls. Like they were, and I pictured them as like these little monopoly pieces. Monopoly pieces, exactly. <laughs> like a little pickaxe, a little, you know, hammer, a little sigh and all this stuff. But like, you know, you don't want to reach in your pocket and like stab your finger on the pickaxe so they basically did eventually i'm serious so they did eventually go to like round coinage i guess this was like in 600 bc but so like primitive cultures had these things that they exchanged but but it wasn't like we envisioned like shopping today it wasn't always in real time and we're told that the reason we went away from the barter system to cash money was remember what they told you Okay, well, it was hard for people to trade stuff because 
If you're a mouse and you want a piece of cheese and the dog's got the cheese, but all you got's a fish and the dog don't like fish, you got to go find a cat and trade the cat. The cat's got the bone to oh, get the fish. right. So it makes trading to get what you need a big hassle. Yes. You have to go out and find every that person. That is what they taught us. Yes. So that was a bunch of shit. Like, oh, probably. yeah. Probably. You don't have the thing. Like, you have the thing I want, but I don't have the thing you want. So now I have to go on a fucking Skyrim-type quest to trade with yes. eight different people so I can come back and give you what you want. So, so that I can get secret. what you have. It was socialism. <laughs> like people actually lived in communities and fucking worked together. Like, hey, dude, like you want to go get some fish today? Yeah, I'm going to go in the farm and farm some wheat. And <laughs> we're going to put our shit together and survive. <laughs> and grandma will be out there sewing the skins together to make clothes. Like everybody provided a part. So, you know, and societies did trade with each other like if you had an excess of something right that all the people in your village had enough of x so you had an excess of this thing so you take it to a market somewhere trade it with cultures that didn't have that thing so yeah all that stuff but i'm saying the barter and trade the way we were sold it as kids in school probably was a load of shit it was more ious like if you give me some money now so i can get a cow to pull this plow so i can plant the seed when it comes due i'll give you some wheat promise so there was like a lot of trust in that early system. well trust and also probably you know like okay i trust you but also i know where you live and if you don't <laughs> give me that shit i'll burn your fields like, right <laughs> and we got to remember too these were brutal times so like you know killing somebody for their stuff like fuck buying it i'll just murder your whole tribe and take your shit like that shit happened too so yeah before money um there was a lot of risk survival was definitely difficult but i don't think it was based because i don't think money made us any safer right but we definitely had to progress at some point because in those times it was about survival but in today's world there would be no market for things like lamborghinis if we uh right were focused on survival well so. the other thing they tell you about the barter system was that um there was you can't store wheat indefinitely it's gonna get moldy whatever so you have to find some way to you know use your excess of something to gain something so that later on when you need it's all about timing so if you could store up so many coins to say hey i give you this now then i have these coins then later when i need something i can you know so timing was one reason because goods will rot and so you have to get rid of them in a timely manner so that was another reason we were told you had to have a storage purpose also because you know um you couldn't carry around a ton of money you know, so we went to paper money. So that goes in the whole thing. But yeah, we were told you can't carry around like all of your barter stuff. So you would, you'd take money and exchange stuff. So it was the portability of money was another reason why the barter system was kind of, if we evolved out of that. But there's some advantages to the barter system that the government doesn't like. Like they can't tax your shit. Like if you're trading shit, like people started doing this online recently. Like a doctor will provide medical services and then like you know a lawyer provides him legal services like we know that shit happens that shit ain't getting taxed that's like me that's do true some, that me, does happen all the time <laughs> me do some pro bono for you you do some pro bono and that happens like some guy fixes some guy's car and then his computer takes shit hey i fixed your car last week you want to yeah my, my brother does this to me all the time only he just uses guilt 
<laughs> guilt is a serious commodity it is it really is he's like hey uh why don't you come down here and help me clean out the garage and i'm like um eh, no kind of don't feel like it and he's like well remember that time i did construction on your house and i'm like yeah fuck you did do that and i'll get my shoes on like called socialism yeah we do though we help each other what so, else do you have do you here's, not, here's, i seriously would have been you know how many times i would have been fucked yeah you know west virginia i don't know how mechanics make a living in west virginia because <laughs> uh you hand any fucking farm boy a wrench and he's a mechanic now yeah right yeah, but yeah. my brother actually uh did have a pretty good mentor our grandfather and he is an extremely intelligent human being so he basically taught himself to be a mechanic um and then later on went to college to be an engineer but uh, he had these skills before college. Oh, yeah. 100%. All, all college did for him was give him a piece of paper because he knew everything that he knew, self-taught. Now, I got to tell this story. So when he was like 12, he built a hovercraft. I remember this. And it lifted me off the ground. Yeah, listen, this is so crazy. He asked. He was asking me for all these supplies, right? And, and he was such an amazing child to raise because whenever he would ask me for supplies, I didn't know if he was building a new invention or a pipe bomb or what. I didn't know what, you know what he was doing with it. Like, it was kind of up in the air. Like, I, am I going to be an inventor today or a terrorist? <laughs> yeah. Because he's a very passionate and knowledgeable individual. So it was kind of like, man, this, this kid could be, like, dangerous. But anyway, so he's asking me for these plot. I need a uh, certain millimeter thickness of plastic. Uh, I need this, I need that. And I was like, what do you want all this stuff for? And he's like, you know, so anyway... He's so, like, shut up, woman. Don't ask questions. Yeah. Don't ask you no business. Which is also a hilarious uh, <laughs> part of my brother is that he is such an intelligent human being. But if you meet him, he'll probably, uh, you know, spit some dip out of his mouth. He'll be like, <laughs> y'all see that uh, that uh, TV show last week? And you're like, what? <laughs> like, you'd never guess that he he is such an intelligent person. He doesn't come across. He, he comes across as kind of a burly, like truck driving. Yeah. Gun loving. Yeah. West Virginia. Typical. Yeah, people probably he, shit a brick when they see him get out of his big old fucking dually and it's yeah. got a Bernie Sanders sticker on the back. Like, Yeah, they get confused. Yeah. But that's okay. But anyway, so he calls me and he's like, Mom, 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 come down here. Come here and see what I built. Blah, blah. And I was like, all right, okay, okay. I'll come down in a minute. And he's like, no, come here. I built a hovercraft. I want you to see it. I was like, all right, I'll be down in a minute. So like, we go down in the basement and he has legit built this hovercraft. And it's like floating off the ground and he's on it. And it's floating. And I was like, I was so dumbstruck and I it's one of those moments in your life where you're like never forget that moment because you're like what the fuck is happening <laughs> my child built a hovercraft but even when he was like seven years old he was like working on building putting computers like the old computer somebody gave us junk really and he's in this room like putting it all together and then he tore apart your blues clues doll which I you remember were so not happy about yeah because he wanted a microphone and there was a little microphone in the blues clues that talked so he harvested the parts that's what he said (laughs) jovi why'd you tear why'd you why'd you kill my blue (laughs) i wasn't i didn't kill him i harvested the parts yes he harvested the parts and he was wiring this computer together and i said um buddy uh do you know that's that's plugged in like how did you and he had already got it started he already had had it booted up and i know you're thinking what a terrible parent of mine but he was in the room playing like you don't think your seven-year-old's up there you know, sticking a screwdriver and something electrical. Like, honestly, like after that, I did think about it. But like up until that point, I mean, he thought he was just a kid playing in his room. And I go in there and I'm like, he has all this stuff wired together. And I go, how did you know how to do that? And he just looks at me and he, with this innocent look and he says, hmm, I figured it out. And I'm like, 
But how? Like, you don't have books. You don't have any information. Like, how did you figure it out? And he goes, hmm, just figured it out. <laughs> In a way, only a kid can tell you that, right? So now I'm like, but Jovi, that's plugged in. You know, there's electricity in there. And at this point, I probably he thought, God, this moron of a mother is like, I've already got this shit hooked up and she's trying to tell me to worry about electricity. Duh, I know what electricity is. So I said, you know, you can get shocked. And he goes, only once. Yeah, <laughs> only once. That's what he said. And I was like, oh, Lord. Jovi's method still to this day. And I'm like, well, how do you know if you put those two wires together that you're not going to get shocked? And he's like, well, if I do, I'll know not to do it again. Like, yeah. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> That's a dumb question. So, yeah, people have skills. That was where we were going. So people trade their skills and it makes the government mad because they can't tax you. Yeah, which is probably why Jovi is one of those people that's like, I don't need fucking government. Like, I ain't going to pay no taxes. Yeah, I'll, I'll get my way. And it's like true because he is a human being with... Uh, skills that he could definitely trade for just about anything he needed. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So barter and trade was more like socialism than transactional capitalism. That's lesson number one. Did Um, you ever find out if the Monopoly man was... Yes, it was J.P. Morgan. Okay. I was correct. I needed closure for that. Thank you for that because I I promised I was looking it up and then we just started talking. (laughs) But I did look it up. Um, So, and then you had the formation of empires, Right? So you have like the Roman Empire, the British Empire, like all these empires. I have a flag. I have have a flag. Do you have a flag? (laughs) You're not an empire if you don't have a flag. (laughs) Eddie Izzard, listen to it. It's hilarious. Um, So, and they made coinage of different metals, and they would basically use their wealth of their empire to plunder and pillage other, like, small villages and areas and territories and acquire their natural resources and capture their people as slaves or citizens to build the empire. Ah, slave, citizen. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's a fuzzy line. Yeah, it's a fuzzy line. <laughs> but uh, honestly, like slave labor, so when we were talking about um, barter system, so barter system is good for objects, right? But like, what about labor? So what if you need someone just to work on your farm? Like that's not a thing. So you have to give that person something. Compensation. Compensation for the act of working. But we got to remember, like a lot of times physical labor was just done by slaves. People were just relegated either by a caste system or by force or whatever into free labor. Nobody wanted to pay for labor. You're not getting anything from labor. I mean, that's how they looked at it. So why are you going to spend money on that? Just get a slave. So... um, but funny thing about slavery. I don't think anyone's ever said that sentence before, but funny thing about slavery <laughs> is, you know what happens when you get people as slaves and you try to send them out to fight a war? They're like, uh, go fuck yourself. They turn the gun on you and say, fuck you. And they revolt and they shoot you with a gun you gave them to go shoot somebody else. Hell yeah. So yeah, slave rebellions. They definitely can't trust the slaves with weapons, so they suck. It. We, we can't use slaves to fight wars. Gotta pay soldiers. So empires have money to pay soldiers for the labor of fighting. So, you know, when they say army runs on the stomach, like, you gotta have shit to give these soldiers. They're going out there, and these were brutal, brutal wars where, you know, survival was. So you better be making some money on that. Wish they still had that logic today because... Uh People in the military now don't make shit. No, but we still plunder 
And we still en- enlarge the empire. Yeah, absolutely. But only small amount of people get money from it. Right. So there you go. It's Definitely just, not the people putting right. their lives on the line. But exactly. Then you come into the whole, uh, we won't get off into this topic because it'll, it'll eat this whole episode. But right. you just brainwash into people into being patriots. Yeah. And they'll sign their life away for life or death for four <sighs> oh, years for man. 30 grand. I mean, why not? Just crazy. But anyway. But yeah, people, there's a large defection rate among people who are paid soldiers that's where propaganda comes in because like saudi arabia um they they hire people the saudis don't fight their own wars what we have money we pay people but the problem with that is a lot of the people they hire get out in the field and they're like fuck this noise (laughs) we're leaving (laughs) like so whenever there was some soldiers that were captured in this battle last year it was on the, it was about, you know, the battle with the Yemenis. So a bunch of Saudi Arabian soldiers got captured. And they made a point to mention it in the news that they were actual. Some of them were actual Saudis. Actual. Wow. Yeah. Like that was a point that they wow. had to mention because they weren't just paid soldiers. <laughs> so anyways, um, so coinage. Coinage is used by empires. And so they build their empire by basically going out, getting more shit, and making themselves more wealthy. So then you get into now, okay, so banking. You got coin, you gotta have banks. Why? Why do you have to have banks? Because if you get so much coinage, people try to steal it. So you want somewhere to secure it and so you don't have to carry all your gold around because money was based on things like gold and silver and you don't want to carry all that around. So that's where paper money comes in. So they wanted banks to hold the physical gold or silver or precious metals, whatever, and then also base the paper, easy to carry paper money on that. So banks developed with this coinage, okay? So people always make this joke about Jewish bankers, right? The, the Jews are all the bankers. Like that's a derogatory like thing that's talked about. Oh, Jews are all the, oh, the Jews are bankers. Well, there's a reason why that happens. And the reason is because in the Christian religion and most religions, it's a sin to loan money at interest. It's called usury. So in the Jewish religion, there it's a sin for them to loan money to a brother and or a, a brother, a fellow Jew. But they can loan money to other people, and that's not considered um, apparently illegal or a sin so they became bankers uh and oftentimes they were so persecuted in the societies in which they lived they weren't allowed to do other trades they were specifically used if you will for banking so um people would deposit their money in these banks and then the money would be printed now There were also really super, super, super rich people who held other people's money for them and also, you know, printed money. That happened too. Like extremely well. Like George Soros today could print his own fucking money. Like Warren Buffett could have his own fucking money. Like it would be the bank of Buffett and you would just have Buffett bills. Like (laughs) (laughs) banked by Buffett. (laughs) Backed by Buffett. So... In Venice in the 1200s, there were some extremely wealthy merchants. They were Catholics, and they didn't believe in loaning money. But they came into this sticky situation where 
they wanted to send out explorers to basically do what the other empires were doing, but on a kind of private level, they wanted to send out people to explore and gain wealth for them. Uh, the problem is, you know, you got a rich family in Venice who's embarking on their own and they find out, well, you're in competition for that gold or that silver or those spices or whatever you're going after with the British British and the French and like everybody, all these empires are like wanting to go out and get all this stuff. And you're a guy, a really rich guy, but you're trying to fight people that have like navies and you know what I mean? So basically they weren't wanting to hire people to do that. But if you give a guy a sh- money and a ship and you send him out and you say, this is your mission, okay? Like what if he doesn't pay back? What if he just takes off with your shit? Like that would suck. So they wanted banks so they could set up loans. So they would loan the person money and they would make enough good loans that they would make money on the interest, but they couldn't do the interest. They had to have the Jewish bankers do the interest. So in Venice... Can you imagine any bankers in today's world holding on to morals like that? That's funny. Well, what's funny, what I think is odd about it is I read like that sometimes when people didn't pay their debts, like they could exact a pound of flesh. So like you could, what does that mean? You can kill somebody. That's like murders in the Bible. (laughs) But somehow usury. And one of the videos I watched, um, which was called The Ascent of Money. And it's on, it's like a three-part series on YouTube. Um, It's kind of an older series, but it's really in-depth about different things of money. Um, And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, why was usury such a big thing? Well, you know, Dante's Inferno was written about hell. The Bible doesn't have a whole lot of information about hell. But Dante wrote this big old book about all what hell was like the nine levels of hell all the different tortures you were going to be suffered under hell like i don't know where he gets all the information because the bible's not that specific but one of the big sins was usury that he mentions Hmm. it's like a certain really torturous place in hell if you commit usury so they were trying to avoid it propaganda Yeah. yeah propaganda um so okay and the word bank I found out comes from the bankers were called banchieri and they were called that because of the benches that they would sit on outside of the banks in Venice and do their they would do it on a table and a bench outside their their bank all the business was done there on these benches hmm. so the benches benchy they came banchieri and that's where we get the word bank so that's a little fun tidbit there um so you got the Jewish bankers and then the merchants in Italy. So each little state in Italy, like Florence and Venice, they all had like these rich, like basically like gangs. <laughs> each little province was like a rich, there was a rich mofo that lived there and they were fighting all the time with each other. So they had these wars and you got to fund a war. Wars cost money. You got to pay the soldiers. These weren't people that volunteered because they were patriotic. You had to pay these people. And guess what? If I offer a guy $1,000 to fight for me and you offer him $1,500, he's fighting for you. And tomorrow, if I offer him $2,000, that bitch is switching uniforms. He's fighting for me because it was all about the money. So in a desperate attempt to have more money to fight these wars, they started the bond market. So bonds are when the citizenry citizenry buys 
kind of like stock in the government. And on the premise that, you know, five years from now when I redeem this bond, I paid 20 bucks for it, it would be worth 100 bucks. Because the value of the government, the state, is going to be worth more because we're an advancing, you know, growing economy, blah, blah, blah. So the citizens love this. They, they bought these bonds and they considered it like they had holding in the government. Now, I could sell my bonds to you if I was desperate for cash, for whatever value you and I determined it was worth. But you couldn't redeem them back till the, they were, you know, till they, matured. Uh, till they matured. So it was a way for uh, these m- little monarchies, I guess you'd call them, to fight with each other. They had to fund these wars, and that's where the bonds, they came up with this bond market. So naturally, if you live in, if I live in Venice and you live in Florence and we're having a war, if you come out on the losing end of that deal, if you bought bonds in a government that ended up losing, you didn't get. Then you're fucked? Then you're fucked. Ah, so it's like gambling. It is like gambling. So the point, the overarching point of what I learned from trying to understand money and markets and the value of things is that there's real hardcore value things that you can tangibly say this has value and worth and then there are things that are basically a gamble so when you buy stock or you buy bonds you're buying a future idea of what that thing is going to be now you're getting a deal on it sometimes but you know, if it doesn't grow or if the country you bought bonds in goes down, you lose your money. Stocks in a company goes down, you lose your money. If it goes up, you get way more than what you put in. So, okay, so here's a question for you, right? So we all decided that we were going to start using this coinage. Mm-hmm. And really the only way that gained value is just because on a whole society decided that we will say this thing has value to some extent yes because the value of a thing depends on its scarcity so you hear about supply and demand right so if you got big demand for something and there's not very much of it it has a lot of value and the best this is a funny example but this is the best thing i can think of so black friday cabbage patch dolls the original massacre for the Cabbage Patch Doll. The original massacre. The original Friday Night Massacre for the Cabbage Patch Doll. I don't know if it happened on a Friday, but the Cabbage Patch Doll, if you bought one, the price tag wasn't even, it was the ugliest freaking toy you'd ever want to see in your life. It's horrifying to look at. I don't know why anybody would want to buy this doll for their child. But marketing being what it is, this was the toy to have. I think in like 88, 89, if I'm remembering correctly. So people were literally beating the shit out of each other for this ugly ass doll. They look like uh, fucking guinea pigs. They're horrible looking. Look like guinea pigs to me. Honestly, I think the person that designed it was like, let's see how ugly of a toy we can make and see if we can make people fight over it. I think that's what his bet was. (laughs) And he won. So the thing was that it was the scarcity of the thing. They figured out if there's only five of them, even if you don't jack the price of it up, the person who gets it can then turn around and sell it for way more because there's not that many. Everybody wants to tickle me Elmo, right? 
And now this is sad. So again, I don't think we need a disclaimer on the financial advice because I don't know anything about money. This is a learning experience you're witnessing right now. But there's an episode of Peppa Pig. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was Peppa Pig. It was some cartoon that my brain was being numbed by. But they're trying to raise money for something. And they're like, hey, we could collect rocks and sell them. And so they're like trying to collect the rocks and everybody's like, why would I buy a rock from you? I can pick one up over there, like anywhere. So that's the economic example I'm using to show the scarcity (laughs) of an object gives it value. (laughs) The plentifulness of an object makes it have no value because you can just go get it, right? Right. So money, back to money. So the Spaniards, when they went under conquistadors, massacring Indians and, and stealing their fucking gold actually collected so much gold they caused the value of gold to drop mm. i can see that but there's a simple solution to that because if you have gold and it's worth let i have no idea what gold's worth but let's say an ounce of gold's worth 500 bucks but then you go out and you find so much gold that the price of gold drops to 250 dollars. you've cut the price of it in half because now there's twice as much right what do you do about that um destroy it Destroy it or hoard it. So if you hoard the money. There's less of it in circulation. There's less of it in circulation. And guess what? Your money is worth more just because there's less of it. So these are the kind of financial trickery and games that people figured out how to play. So the stock market, this is what they'll do sometimes with the stock. So when you buy a stock, what you're buying is a piece of a company. Everybody kind of knows that part. But it's what that company is going to grow into. So if you see a company start to fail, you know, like you want to unload that stock because it's on its way down. You're going to get your most money out of it. You're going to get it now. Just sell it now. But if you hold on to it and the company's doing really well, like, gee, if we would have known 3M that makes N95 masks was going to be like, you know, killer. I mean, we went out and bought some stock in that shit. But we don't, it's like speculative. It's gambling. You're buying something based on something you don't know how it's going to perform. You can try to read prospectus, which is like how a company, what a company does to see if you think it's going to go up or down. But it's really like anything can happen. Like one of the financial panics I investigated was like 1837 or 1818. It was in the 1800s. And this volcano erupted. And what happened was it was the biggest like volcanic eruption in like 2,500 years. And it sent all this ash up into the sky and it caused it to be the weather to be completely shitty for like two years. Like temperatures. Um, hold on. (laughs) James has decided to interrupt. Um, so I'm going to grab him, but go on. So, um, But basically, this unforeseen event of this volcano erupting caused crops to do really poorly in certain areas of the world. So it caused like an imbalance of, um, you know, there was flooding in Europe and in the United States there was drought. Um, So it caused this like massive trade imbalance. So people that had stocks 
um, that realized that they were going to lose money started selling them off. And, you know, that's what causes a panic when one person start, or two people start selling stuff. Okay. But like when tons of people start selling stuff, even if you don't know what's going wrong with that company, you want to get out because you see a bunch of other people going out. So it's like people start, it's like someone yells fire in a theater. Even if you haven't seen the fire, if someone's yelling fire and you see a bunch of people run into the door, you're going to get the fuck out the door. <laughs> you're like, everything here is suggesting to me there's a fucking fire she and cheat. I don't want to die. She cheat. Fire's a sheet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway. We're going to have to get some new references because that video is like 20 years oh old. Oh my so. <laughs> God. Caribou need jobs too. We're going to have to look those up though and go over them one day because yeah. they're like historical. Yeah, like, they're relics now. Cartoon. Yeah. So that one was like jib jab jib jab jib jab yep. how a nuclear war would actually happen is that who made no, fucking that, hilarious that, yeah no jib jab was the one who made the video of the this land is your land uh with george bush and john Kerry. but they were on this website called amish donkey uh that jib jab video and the end of the world end of the world end of the world yeah everybody yeah. starts firing off their missiles because they're like oh fire this shit yeah and australia's down there like the fuck mate <laughs> They get blown up too. <laughs> Fucking kangaroos. <laughs> that was a great video. Like, I want to watch that tonight just to laugh again. <laughs> so anyways, um, where were we at? Um, so bank panics. So bank panics and stock market crashes and all these kind of things basically occur because a bunch of people invest in a company and then something starts to happen and people start pulling their money out and then it creates a panic and then everybody's trying to pull their money out. But what's happened? And you and this is like so good for our 99% theme here. So when these runs on stocks or banks would happen, like the rich people would go in the back door and get their shit. And then like the poor people would be in lines out front, like screaming and ranting like maniacs and being told, yeah, 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 we'll get to you. And like they didn't get their money. Typical. Typical. And like most people know about the stock market crash in 1929, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Great Depression. But if you look back in American history, there were a number of very serious economic uh, crises that occurred prior to the Great Depression. And uh, people hated bankers because this is what happened. And, and even though you're, and you might be uneducated, uh, you might not have any financial, you might be, you might be me. <laughs> but if you get fucked out of your retirement, you're pissed. You're pissed off, and you're going to be like, what the fuck, mate? What just happened? Like, I want to know. WTF, mate. WTF, mate. Where's my money? <laughs> fucking cunt. Gary. You got to be a fucking cunt, Gary. <laughs> no, it's Kevin. 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 Oh, Kevin. I thought it was so What's that guy's name? I don't know. There's a guy on YouTube that has these goats. It's just so, <laughs> so off topic, but... He um, did this video where he's feeding the goats, and the one goat, Kevin, is like harassing the other ones. <laughs> Kevin, quit being such a cunt, Kevin. <laughs> Trying so, to steal all the food. Yeah, so that was the reference. He's but. a fucking 1% goat. That's what he is. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking like, fuck one, this. Fucking 1% goat. <laughs> yeah, he's getting his fucking carrot. So that's what would happen. All the rich <laughs> bastards would go to the back of the bank, get their fucking carrots out, being a bunch of Kevins, <laughs> and the poor fucking people in the front <laughs> don't get shit. So, yeah, so Americans fucking hated bankers. And when the Great Depression happened, obviously, it ushered in a whole new era. 
But the problem was the Federal Reserve had already been created. And the Federal Reserve is not federal and it's not a reserve. So it's not federal because it's a privately owned bank and it does print our money, but our money is not U.S. government money. It's money of, it's printed by the Federal Reserve Bank, which is a private bank. Um, and we can't investigate the Fed because it's a private company. Uh, so they can't, They had some issues. Uh, That's some shit just in itself. Dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, what if the Federal Reserve just came out and was just like, oh, by the way, uh, no, we're not doing this anymore. Like, <laughs> we don't, this isn't right. a good investment for us. We're good. So part of the problem was that we had individual banks and a lot of the individual banks early on in the existence of the United States were like basically rich people like Mr. Buffett, Buffett Bank. They started their own banks and, you know, would encourage deposits. But the thing about banking is it was all it was based on gold, right? Or silver. So if you have a bunch of people that deposit their gold and silver in the bank and say you've got $100,000 worth of gold and you're printing your own money, the Bank of Wheeling Island, we create our own money system. So how does anybody know what that's worth? Well, because if I go to the bank and I go, here's my ticket for an ounce of gold, I want my gold. Right. You get your gold. Makes sense. Right. Makes sense. But bankers figured out that hardly anybody really came back for their gold. All this money just flowed around. People started exchanging the money. They didn't come back for the gold. They didn't give a shit about the Once they had the cash to buy things, they didn't care about the gold. So they started printing more money than there was gold. So that seems great. This is like the part of the movie when the bad music starts playing. <laughs> Not quite that one. There's another one. No, it's one. like this ominous, scary yes. music. <laughs> the like, wah, wah, wah comes later when the people find out yeah, the like, fucking bag doesn't have the gold. <laughs> when they're like, shit, shit, wait. <laughs> so um, when pa- bank panics would happen, um, people would start going to the bank be like, I want my gold. Basically, there wasn't enough gold to go around. And they're like, well, uh, Mr. Johnson, about that. <laughs> and he's like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. And so, like, we're talking about, like, there's speculation. There's there's buying something on the premise that it's going to be worth something, and then it's not worth something. So there's trickery there. There's the overinflation of things. Like, for example, if I – it works the reverse way, too. So if you feel like the company you bought stock in is starting to go down, like, you get some bad news. Like, say a guy like Donald Trump took over your company, and you're like, fuck, man, everything this guy touches turns to bankruptcy. Fuck that. I'm getting out now. You can take your stuff out. You can take your money out and say, let somebody else have that stock. Whatever happens. But the opposite can happen. Like, say someone buys a company and you're like, dude, this guy's brilliant. Like, he, I mean, this company's got to do good. So you think it's going to go up. So you want to buy more of the stock. Well, like we were talking about scarcity. If people, all a bunch of people start trying to buy the same stock, there's less of it to go around. So it costs more. So it costs more. Right. Everybody wants it, so it costs more. So what's, what? sometimes what would happen is companies would inflate their own stock falsely. To make it look like they're more successful than they are. To make it look like they're more successful, which means what? More people want the stock. So that's what happened with the dot-com bubble. 
and people, technology was on the rise. Everybody was talking about the internet and all the business was going to be on the internet, the internet, the internet, the internet, Google, da, 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 da. Everything was tech, 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 tech. So anything with a dot com after people were like, oh, I'm going to invest in that. I'm going to invest in that. I'm going to invest in that. And so they overinflated what the tech industry was worth. And then it popped. So we were talking about the housing bubble. One thing about a house is it's a real property. It's like gold, you know. And people have for years borrowed against the more the, the value of their house. You pay a house off and you want to borrow money. You can say, hey, well, I got a house that's worth $100,000. I only need ten. Oh, sure, we'll give $10,000, no problem. So your house has this intrinsic value. And the housing bubble, part of what happened was they, you know, said, listen, housing values always go up because there's more, always going to be more people needing houses in the future. And so you can't go wrong with a house. So they started backing other securities with houses. And that's why my house got sold so many times before the crash. Because everybody was buying houses. Everybody wanted to buy houses. And they didn't, nobody came and looked at my house. Thank God. Because they would have been like, yeah, you told me this house was worth how much? Like, they were inflating the values and not even checking nobody was checking it stuff was happening yeah, i mean the so reality fast. of that is is that those five different mortgage companies or whatever that exchanged hands and bought that debt thinking oh well there's a house backed by this debt mm-hmm. uh the house could have fucking burned down and they would have never known right nobody and, would have ever known and the other thing they did they bundled massive numbers of houses together so people buying it thought it was a safe product because they're like well listen i mean this house might end up not being worth what they're appraising it at, but this one might be worth more. So if you get enough of them in there, you know, it's going to be average. And houses, pr- housing prices always go up. So that was part of it. And so that was a bubble that burst, but, the, but because they kind of used the houses to make other riskier investments, when it all went down, it went down in such a big way. It went down like the fucking Titanic. Like tie. Panic. Fucking Leonardo DiCaprio shit. That was, yeah. <laughs> and so, to that effect, I mean, you know, you know how the story ends, right? But people went to watch the movie anyway. So, when you read, when I'm reading all these histories about banks and about, uh, you know, financial products and speculation, it always happens the same fucking way. So, somebody commits some sh- shenanigans without the knowledge of all these other people. And then when the secret's about to get exposed, the people on the inside get their shit and get the fuck out. And all the poor folks left holding the bag every single time. Yeah, which then, you know, leads me to the question is, why the fuck don't poor people start molotoving? Some motherfucking places. I'm not going to say which places because I don't want to end up on another government watch list. But, you know, uh, what the fuck, poor people? Like, as a poor person, I just got to say that if some shit goes down, I'm going to be in that shit. But until the rest of y'all, like, are ready to be in that shit, (laughs) we're just going to keep getting fucked. Well, you know, I thought the Occupy, I was really disappointed in the Occupy movement because... I shouldn't say disappointed because, hey, I wasn't there. I wasn't in it. But all these people went out, you know, and they're protesting and they're clogging up streets. They went in in front of the, um, I think it's uh, 
Goldman Sachs that has the big bull outside, right, in Manhattan, the big fucking bull. And they, like, toilet paper that shit, and they, like, just, like, we're not going to move until we get an answer. Like, why did the banks get bailed out? Well, the reason the banks get bailed out is because when you look back at the history of banking in the United States, like, the banks own the United States. They print our fucking money. Right, so what are we going to say? No, and then they're going to turn around and be like, well, then we're not printing any more money for you. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like the bankers... It's, you're being held, it's held hostage. They're held hostage. But um, the question that I feel like comes from that, for me anyway, is... I mean, it all makes sense when your shit's backed by gold, right? But I don't understand how they continue to make people follow this rule when we know that the money is now not backed by anything. Well, Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971. And I mean, why weren't people just like, uh, okay, um, so our money's not worth anything now and we're going to fucking raise hell over it. They're just fine with the fact that like, now the government decides, or the Federal Reserve decides, what your money's worth. And you don't control the Federal Reserve with your vote or anything else. So, like, your entire life that you spend every single day slaving away to make these paper dollars mm -hmm. is now, the value of that is now in the hands of someone you have no control over. Like, why were people not fucking pissed about this? Well, primarily, I think, because... First of all, we don't even know when we say our money was backed by gold. There wasn't enough gold. There wasn't enough gold. They were printing more money than there was gold. So even though you say it was, quote, backed by gold, you think there's a reason why they had Fort Knox under lockdown and nobody could ever go in there and audit it or count it or anything because they were printing more money than what there was in there. So it was that was kind of a lie anyways. But so when we went off the gold standard, I guess in my mind, this is how I look at it. Like, if you've got $500 in the bank and, you know, you're a good person, you work, you pay your bills and everything, you got $500 in the bank and your car takes a shit on you. Now, you only got 500 bucks. A car is probably, a decent car is probably going to cost you more than that. So, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the bank, you're going to take out a loan. Now, some people might say, why would you want to go in debt when you're already poor well because i don't have a choice because i need to something i need this item and i don't have enough money to get it so my feeling is that going off the gold standard was sold as a way for our country to say that our money was now no longer based on this finite arbitrary thing of how much gold we could get but our money was now going to be based on our ability as a country to pay it back. So when other people buy American dollars, what does that mean? What does American dollar mean? Well, it's just like buying a bond. I mean, if, if, if the country is worth that, it's basically like saying you can pay your debt. So if your economy... If you want your economy to expand, like if you want to put an addition on your house and raise the value of your house, you got to go in a little bit of debt, but in the end you're going to come out 
ahead, right? Um, if you get a better car, yeah, it's going to put you in debt a little bit. But if you can reliably get to your job, um, maybe you'll get that promotion and be and better yourself. So it's kind of like the debt is the is the trade off for being able to expand and grow. So people that believe in debt as that debt is a good thing, they see it as debt as 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 power. Because we were talking about this the other day. You said, well, what what advantage is it for banks? to be a bigger bank. Right, which in the long story short, they count debt as uh, profit, basically. As worth. As worth. They yes, count of it having as value. worth. Of because having, it's yes, owed money. Value. So in the speculative term, if you owe me $50 and I'm broke this week and I go to you know, Jovi and I say, hey, like I need to borrow $50. Debt is basically collateral. It is collateral, but it's, it's almost... On the books, on the accounting books, it's almost seen as an asset. Right. As something you already own. But it's really not something you already own. So so banks will buy a lot of debt to therefore look like they have a lot of value. In the housing market, I believe that's what happened. I think that they bought all these mortgages, which are debt. And they said, listen, we're buying all this debt, but at the same time, we're getting an asset that is more than likely going to grow over time. So we're going to make money on the growth of the value of the house, plus our risk is minimized because the 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 debt is actually looking like we have money. It makes us look like we have money due us, so we can count that as a positive. The only problem was they, for one, they found out a lot of the houses that they weren't worth what they were being sold as. You know, there was too much housing, and so that caused a problem. And then the debt part of it, um, they were going out and trying to loan money to people for houses that they knew could not pay for the houses. And they convinced a lot of people like, no, 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 no problem. Your payments will be super low, blah, 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 blah. But then there was balloon payments involved and the fine print. And they tricked a lot of people. And, you know, when I went and bought my first house and I, I looked at what the payment was going to be, <clears throat> I mean, that's all I understood about it. I knew what the interest was on the loan, because they had to tell me that. Um, I didn't know what moral hazard was. I learned that with my first house, which is that you can't insure the house for more than what it's worth. Oh, right. Because right. you have too much temptation to burn it down right. and get the money. I was like, really? That's how naive I was. But um, yeah, so I feel like when I bought my first mortgage, I didn't know anything about finance, but it was all like right there on the page if I read it. But from what I've come to understand about the mortgages that were being sold to people because these companies wanted more and more and more and more mortgages to sell, they were basically giving a loan to anybody. And the number one rule for a bank crash is poor decision and loaning. So, um, you know, things are unpredictable. And we live in a world where people want to get a sure thing. And the reality is there is no sure thing. How do you, how would you know a, a volcano is going to erupt and ruin the crops? Like, how would you, you, you there's no way to predict well, that. Well, that's the same thing in the, the housing market too, which is what confuses me is that when they bought all these houses thinking, um, or they bought all the debts for these houses, I should say, uh, how do they know that there wasn't just going to be some natural disaster that destroyed all these? And of course you say, oh, well, then the banks would get the insurance money to cover them. But in my experience, insurance companies don't just write you the check and say, here you go. 
uh, they're going to be like, no, we actually evaluated this house and it was only insured for this amount. Right. So how did they not run into that problem? They when- did run into that problem. And if you remember, one of the biggest bailouts went to AIG, which is American Insurance Group. So was it that not only the banks were overvaluing these houses, but the insurance companies were as well? I'm, I don't know that part. Because the thing is for me is that I have a mortgage and the insurance people come and look at my house and they say, okay... Yeah, that's reasonable. We'll insure your house for the amount of your mortgage, which is required for me to have this mortgage. Um, so when somebody else gets a mortgage for a hundred thousand dollar house, it's really only worth fifty. When the insurance company comes and you say, "Hey, I need a hundred thousand dollars in house insurance," you know, to insure my bank, mm-hmm. how did the insurance company not say, "Well, this house isn't worth that"? But I don't think that the insurance company was insuring the home in the sense that you're talking about homeowners insurance. I think AIG was insurance for the people buying the homes that if their investment went bad, that it would be covered. Because when all these banks started to go down, they started looking to AIG, and then AIG got in trouble. Because they were like, we can't possibly pay all these claims. You know what I'm saying? So it was all intermingled collapse. But the bottom line is, shit was overinflated to start with. And that's what's happened in a lot of these cases. It wasn't an unpredictable event. There was one case in that documentary that I watched where a guy who was wanted for killing another man in I think Ireland Scotland fled the country so he was he was wanted he was put in jail and he he escaped and fled the country he had a duel with a guy over a woman and killed the guy so he's in jail he he escapes he he flees to France so but he's a kind of a smart guy and he manages to work his way up to be the head of like the bank of France so remember we were talking about the bonds yeah okay so the bonds were being printed and sold. Now the bond is based on what? The value of the country as a how healthy the economy is in the country, right? So you're gonna buy government bonds in a country you think is on the upswing, just like a stock in a company. If it's on the upswing, you want that stock. And he infl- he overinflated the yes. value of the country. So he over he what he did, he was also in charge of printing money. So he's oh. printing money, and he's printing bonds, and he's printing money, and he's printing bonds. And he's like, "Hey, look at how successful! Look how I much am. money we got! Buy some bonds. We got even more money. Buy some more bonds." But it was all—it was just a Ponzi scheme. It was like a, it was a big scheme. So, anyways, he ended up having to flee the country there, <laughs> left a wife and child behind. But he had to get the fuck out because he ran like a giant scheme, and he had like twenty-seven castles around France. Like this guy was like the richest, like rolling in it motherfucker he had so much money and he just had to flee because he was dead but this is what i'm saying this entire thing i this is what i don't understand i know when i say this people are probably like wow you're fucking stupid and dumb as rocks but uh you know that guy all he did was just like print a shit ton of money and he got like 27 castles <laughs> okay so why the fuck doesn't that work that way like so here's the thing I was actually talking to someone about these bailouts, right? And he's like, so you're telling me that they use our tax dollars to bail these people out? And I'm like, well, no. The bigger problem is is that they print more money mm-hmm. to bail these people out. So mm-hmm. it would probably actually be better if they did use our tax dollars 
Um, but they're not. They're printing more money. It's all a giant credit card. So so that means that the money you have is worth less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're still fucking you, but it's not, they're not technically using your tax dollars. Right. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess I just don't understand, you know, is, when you take it on a global scale, it makes sense. Because no country is going to want to do business with us because our money's not worth anything. No, 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 no. This is where it's wrong. Because... If you buy stock in a company where the stock is super cheap because it's just a startup company, but it looks like it's really going to make a lot of money in the end, is the fact that you're getting the stock at a cheap price a bad thing or a good thing? That's a good thing because you can buy three, four, five, whatever um, stocks and percent of stocks in this company, and if it explodes and becomes super successful... You make a ton of money on that stock. I mean, just think if you'd have bought stock in GE like 50 years ago, like you'd be, you know what I mean? So other countries buy our dollars when they're cheap. So yes, printing money is bad for us because the value of the dollar is worth less money. But other countries buy our money and they hold on to it. So that way, if we economically recover, they, they made money on those dollars because they might have only paid 20 cents for that dollar. But now that the country's doing better, that dollar's worth a dollar. They made 80 cents on every dollar they bought. Right, but I guess my whole entire hang up on this entire situation is um, that's all just made up. It's not worth anything redeemable. I mean, if, if, if they printed a trillion dollars of our money and said, uh, okay, well, there's like a trillion more in circulation now, but like, we're just going to say that it's worth the same amount. So you can still take, you know, a $5 bill to the grocery store and still buy, you know, a gallon of milk. And we all just agreed like, okay, we're, that's just what we're going to do. Then, then what the fuck? I mean, it's not based on anything. So what stops them from just making rules like that? Well, it can lead to, you know, inflation, the cost of things going up when they tinker with things. But they also change the interest rates. And that's something that helps to keep, you know, inflation in check. They mess with these. And that's what I'm saying. There's all these financial trickery that they do to try and hold the shit together when it's about to blow up. Yeah, like the way I look at it in in the simplest terms that I can make it is that basically we're all in a system based on money that isn't worth anything. Um I mean, it's worth something. Like, our country is still, I think, ninth in the list of countries that whose money is, like, worth the most. So, Kuwait is, like, number one. They, they every one. We would have to spend three American dollars to buy a Kuwaiti dollar. Their money is worth a lot because they're super tiny and they're super rich because of oil. Yeah, but the only reason that is, that the American dollar is not totally worthless, is just because the rest of the world is like, okay, we designate that this has worth. Well, it's based on our ability as a country to pay back our debt. So when you go but to the bank- we clearly have absolutely no ability to pay back <laughs> any of our debt. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is a fucking house of cards. It is. And we're all just kind of like shaking our heads like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But like in reality- Right. Like, what the fuck? Right. Our dollar shouldn't be worth shit. Like, we're, we're basically just owned by China at this point. Like, we can't... We're not, do you think we're ever going to pay back that debt that we owe China? 
I mean, like all this anti-Chinese rhetoric that's being passed around right now because mm-hmm. of coronavirus is astounding to me because I'm like, do you guys realize that like, if we're like, well, we're just done with China, we're not going to work with China anymore. First yeah. of all, what that means, because like you're not getting your cheap Chinese shit from Walmart anymore. Mm-hmm. And secondly, like we owe them so much money. So according to this is on Infographic, the visual capitalist website. Um, China owns $1,113 billion of our debt. So 17.3% of our debt is owned by China. Japan owns $1,064 billion, which is 16% of our debt. So between Japan and China, you know, they own 32% of American debt, 32%. So that's a lot. Well, and that's what I'm saying. So if they get together and they're like, yeah, we're calling our debt. We want it now. Uh, what the fuck do we do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely... I mean, because it kind of <clears throat> feels like this is pretty a pretty shaky system to be functioning on. That we're like, okay, so now here's this paper dollar and its worth is based on uh, our ability to produce things. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we obviously are losing our ability to produce things here for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, more and more things are being outsourced. And so I'm just like, you would think that the fact that America is producing less would make our dollar less, not the printing of the actual money. You get what I'm saying? Right. Like why, if, if the premise is that our dollar is now based on our ability to produce, mm-hmm. then why is printing more money the problem as opposed to like, say we can't print more money because then our money will be worthless. Well, that makes no sense to me. But if you say, okay, well, all of America's resources are being bought by other countries. Mm-hmm. Like say a Chinese company comes over here and buys a massive amount of farmland that now they own mm-hmm. and uh, we can no longer, you know, produce on that from an American company or whatever, you would think that would make the price of our dollar go down, not just the money itself. Well, it does. I mean, our debt, our debt, you know, does, does make us a riskier venture um, because anytime, like, you owe a bunch of debt, you're a riskier venture. Now, as far as our ability to produce... Um, there, and what I've come to understand is there's two different kinds of production. So if I make a product and I sell it to you, you know, I invest in that product, the materials and labor, whatever, to produce this product, and I sell it to you. So I'm producing an actual good that is being sold to you, and I'm actually getting money, you know, for that goods, right? I'm creating things. But there's other values that are added into our economy which are completely speculative. They're based on the stock market. And when you take a company and you say, okay, like I didn't know what a derivative was. I had to look this up. So anybody who has any financial background, forgive me for being so dumb, but I had to look up what a derivative is. So when you buy something and you're speculating on like the future wealth of that thing, it's derived like from that's where the word comes from. So you're you're speculating on how much it's going to be worth. So there are people who sell financial products that say, "Hey, well you're going to buy this future <laughs> value of this thing." 
it's a way of just inflating things beyond like we're not dealing even with real goods now we're dealing with made up shit speculative shit and every time in history that we do that the shit implodes right which is what i'm saying this is all a fucking house of cards and we're like one blow of wind away from just our entire economy right like being nothing i mean this coronavirus thing i guess has me thinking about it because i mean i guess like most people i know uh you know stupid fucking millennial whatever you want to call me uh um you know i just pay my bills and go to work and i don't really think too much about it you know i'm just trying to get by i don't think about uh any of this but when they're talking about printing more money and bailing out certain people and sending checks out and all of this it it does people start asking the question well if we send twelve hundred dollars out to every single person where does that money come from so I guess it has a lot of people thinking about it. Right. Like, That's what got me thinking about it because Jovi and I were talking about it and he's like, well, this whole thing's going to collapse. I'm like, okay, but let's say money collapses. You know, everybody who owns things. So the guy that in, in, that owns a yacht and owns a, you know, plane and owns a house and all that stuff, he owns his stuff, right? And we own our stuff. And then the money system collapses if he's got $5 trillion in the bank, guess what? Good for him because his money's not worth... Squ- I guess being poor <laughs> is an advantage at that point because like you haven't... You don't have that much to lose. You just have like your actual physical shit that you hold on to and they have like stuff, but like if the value of money goes down, it's actually going to hurt them, I would think, w- more than it would us. But the only problem with that is you see things like the farmers dumping out milk and r- trolling their... F- you know, squash and vegetables, just turning them under and just burying them because they can't get them to market because the supply chain is broken down. And somebody said, why don't they donate it to charity? Well, they did donate some to charity, but they're saying if they put too much supply out there, then they can't make a profit and then and make their the price function. goes down. Right. That's what I'm saying. At this point, I feel like the entire basis of our economy is broken okay and i feel like i started to look into this when i realized uh that the government pays farms money to dump out products or destroy food products um when we are in a country where i don't know what it is a certain percentage of children still face food insecurity right and it's like so and the same thing with homelessness so we have empty houses and homeless people on the street and it's like why does any of that make sense right and it's just all a part of a system where we say this is worth a certain amount, but how can we say our economy is based on, you know, supply and demand when there's clearly a supply and a demand? Because but, no one can make money off of it. If you give stuff away, no one's making any profit. And so, and so that's, I guess, where my next point goes to is that if we're at the point where there's not really a lot of profit to be made off of things like food, and housing then what the fuck else like you know what i mean like why who cares if you have you know this imaginary piece of paper that says this is a certain amount and you can buy a lamborghini with it because that can't feed you or house you mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i feel like all of the things that we base the value off of are things that are non-necessities and the things that are necessities aren't profitable enough so we just make up an amount to keep them functioning mm-hmm um I, I, that just I, I don't know the entire thing and again not educated on the subject so maybe there are a lot of things involved in it that make more sense to other people but i mean i f- i just feel like you know the 
there, there are two main problems that have been in the banking system and in the monetary system is outright fraud, like what the guy did in France, um, stock buybacks to inflate stocks, that kind of trickery where it's just an, a, creating an illusion to make people buy or sell. Um, and then there's the actual <clears throat> honest but in error overestimation of what a thing is going to be worth or what they call like a black swan event, which was what the volcano was. It was completely something you couldn't control. It just, you know, who knew that was going to happen? It was an unseen, foreseen thing. Now, there were people at the end of 2019 who were looking at different things that were happening in financial markets. And you and I, Jovi, talked about this. Certain things that were happening that were unexplainable, like with the repo market. And it was like, well, that's an anomaly. Like, why did that happen? And it's happened again quite a few times since then. So what the repo market is, is at the end of the business day, if a bank has taken in a bunch of money from payments and say they have more money than what they start, like say their bank bill, their bank uh, till is like $100,000, just to give an example. So if they take in more than 100000 that day, they have that much money they can loan to another bank to balance their sheets out. And then the next day, they, it's, it's short, very short term, like overnight, sometimes one or two days borrowing to, for banks to say, We're, we are balanced today. Well, back in November of 2019, some event happened where the Federal Reserve had to put like $500 billion into the repo market overnight because banks were not loaning each other money and nobody knows what happened. It's like still not been explained, but it shook people up in the financial world because they were like, wait, that, sh- that, what ha- that doesn't happen. Like that's, that's an extremely unusual thing. And then it just went on. Like at once they loaned the money for overnight, the next day business went back to usual and it was like, what the hell was that about? So, um, and here recently I saw on the news where the Federal Reserve said that banks can now, for the first time, get their repo money, if they're short, from other countries. From That seems dangerous. Banks. Yeah, like, what I'm saying is, I don't understand what all these things mean, and anybody who's listening can maybe uh, dig into it, too, and Yeah, see maybe what you we can up. have an accountant on our show or something. <laughs> yeah, have some financial, <laughs> financial expert. expert come on and tell us, like, are we really reading these tea leaves right? But I mean... The videos that I watch on YouTube are by people in the financial markets who are saying, like, this is unusual, this hasn't been done before, and before the crashes happen, we usually see, like, these weird things happening, and we don't ever know what the reason is until the bubble pops, and then we go, oh, yeah, that's what it was. So, I don't know. I guess it concerns me. Um, I'm not really sure what any of us power any of us have to do. Um, But I think that some people are kind of realizing in the in the financial world that we've reached a point in the United States of America where our workers, everyday American workers, can't afford to buy anything. Our markets are depressed because people ain't got no money. Right. Mark Cuban was on Fox News. And if you can watch it on YouTube, it was a good interview. Because... She mentioned in the interview, which I didn't know much about Mark Cuban. I know he's been on the Shark Tank and all that. But he's a a libertarian. So he's for smaller government. He's not really for the government interfering, blah, blah, blah. So she's like, what do you think about the government, you know, opening back up for business? And he goes, well, 
I think really the first thing we need to address is that we need a $15 an hour minimum wage, federal minimum wage. And the Fox News lady was probably like, what the Yeah, because fuck? here's my question too. Like I said, started thinking about this because of the $1,200 uh, stimulus checks. But if this were actually going to be a stimulus check that uh, benefits the economy as a whole, then giving that money out and causing us greater debt or printing more money and making our money worth less to give everybody $1,200 really isn't stimulating anything except for businesses. If you were actually going to stimulate the economy you'd think that they would take wealth that already exists off of people who are hoarding it <laughs> and force it back onto the people to put it back into the economy. Now, is that crazy? I mean, Socialist. Yeah. Okay, so that that's my big thing, is this really isn't a stimulus check. It's not stimulating anybody but the businesses. Well, yes and no. Because, because the, if, if you thought, oh, okay, $1,200 each person, we're all going to put these back into businesses. If then the businesses paid the people more or... Mm-hmm you know, gave the purchaser more power by, you know, paying their workers more, this and that, and you were circulating actually more money back into the economy, I can see how that would make sense, but we know that doesn't happen. Well, but Mark Cuban was making a good point, and his point is that, um, and that's, I think, why he went to the whole statement about the $15 minimum wage. Right, that makes sense to me. Because he's saying, you know, this is a good um, start, and this is what needed to happen, um, and, and the lady was like, well, um, you know, have you thought this all the way through? Like you're saying, do you want poor people to have more money? And, and it was so funny because that's, sir, I'm sorry. I have to stop you. This is number one rule on Fox news <laughs> that you're like not allowed to say anything that benefits poor people. Right. But so put a gag on this man. <laughs> yeah. It's like. And she did say at the end of the interview, she's like, well, uh, we're very surprised to hear these kind of views coming from you, blah, 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 but thanks for joining us or whatever, because they, it totally didn't, like, she didn't expect that. But he said that, she's like, did you think this all the way through? And he said, absolutely. And he said, the first thing I did was go to people in our company and say, listen, is there anybody we're not paying $15 an hour? Because if we're not, we need to fix that right now. Um, and he said, you know, the reason the economy is struggling is because people, working people can't buy things. And I'm like, wow, what what a fucking genius insight there. Like, I'm as dumb as they come when it comes to finance, finances, but it makes pretty much makes sense that if you have an economy based on selling shit, that if people are so poor they can't buy shit, there's going to be like a slowdown of, you know, moving your shit. So I guess through this entire conversation, at the end of it, I, I come out with, you know, the sentiment that I've always had, which is eat the fucking rich. Because like I said, I mean, I feel like uh, putting $1,200 in everybody's hand isn't really doing anything if you're just printing more money and causing our money to be worthless to do that. Uh, Like I said, call me a socialist. (laughs) That's the evil word, you know, socialist. Um, (laughs) But you're not really stimulating anything except for... uh, the downfall that's definitely coming like how much longer can we go on um just increasing our debt and printing more money and making our dollar worth less um and continuing to let corporations move to places where they can exploit people and make a product cheaper because unless you are going to exploit those people and and make those products Mm -hmm. for literally pennies eventually people in america won't be able to afford it Mm -hmm. i mean it it is literally a race to the bottom to nothing well and this is the thing too you know and we're going to wrap up here because we're we're running over but um you know borders 
are for the poor. And I understand sovereignty and, you know, we want to be able to make our elector officials and make our own laws and all that stuff. But multinational corporations do not have patriotism or countries. They run across borders to find the cheapest labor they can, to abuse the environment in whatever country doesn't care about standards. And this is a time when it's going to take international cooperation. If this coronavirus hasn't shown us, has shown us anything, it's shown that our international cooperation sucks. And, you know, Macron gave a gave a, an interview with a reporter, and it's a really good interview. It's got subtitles if anybody wants to watch it. And I'm no big defender of Macron because he's got his own issues in his country. But he said, you know, we're trying to struggle with these issues of uh, a country being a sovereign country, and then inside that country there are states, and the states have certain amount of sovereignty. And then inside those states, there's regions. So you see what's happening in different states with the governor saying one thing and the city mayors say another thing and the president saying a different thing. But he said, we have to come to an understanding that when you're fighting a global issue, you have to have coordination and cooperation and respect for sovereignty, but also be able to work together. And he said, not just on a virus, but the economy, the world economy and you know, the environment, what are we going to do? Wait until like, okay, Africa's burning up right now and they don't have any arable land, but hey, that's over there. Right. So we're going to wait until, you know, we start seeing the spread of drought properties here until like we can't grow our own food before we start being concerned about the environment. No, we have to start working on this stuff together internationally. Right now. Yeah. Right now. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good, uh, note to end on i think that you know taking this global community class if anything has shown me how unprepared people are um for what's to come because we're, we're we are we are desperate to have to move towards a global economy and a global everything i mean mm-hmm. you can't have it both ways you can't you can't have an economy that is based off of all of the exchanges that you do with other countries but then turn around and say, oh, no, 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 no. We're not a global economy. Like, that can't work. I mm-hmm. mean, I think that, for an example, if China wants to be this mass producer of products that we buy here, then it's only fair that China plays by our rules. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to pay people slave wages, then the products they can make can be sold elsewhere mm-hmm. because we're not buying it. That's and- the only way that... I mean, America is never going to build its infrastructure back up it's industry. We're never going to be able to compete with China, and yet we continue to feed them and go into debt to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, it, it, it truly, truly is a race to the bottom, which is which the point I want to make here, too, is that, you know, Trump's idea of America first and preaching of all of that, absolutely on paper, I 100% agree, but the actions that he is doing and in the direction where he has loyalty doesn't line up with that. So I don't want anybody listening to this to be like, oh, well, that's exactly what Trump wants to do because I understand the argument and it's not that I disagree with the whole America first, we need to build here, we need to sell here, we need to do all that. I, I agree with that, but there is a whole process included in that and that won't solve the problem if we say, okay, well, now everything's going to be made in America and everything you buy here, uh, you know, goes to an American company. 
that doesn't help anything if we don't also make those companies give money back to the people. I mean, if, if we have no purchasing power, it doesn't fix anything. Exactly. So, And China is actually the reason they're on the rise right now is because their people have started to see an increase in their wages as their country has become more prosperous from all the exporting. They've started to pay their people more, which means their people are starting to buy their own products. Right. So they're on the upswing and we're going the opposite direction. Yep, something's got to change. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, we'll wrap this up here since we ran over a little bit. And um, oh, John Law, I was going to say, is the French, the guy who escaped from Scotland and went to France and became in charge of the French economy in the 1700s. John Law, if you want to look that guy up. What a scammer. (laughs) Wow. I can only hope to be that much of a badass. I mean, totally fucking crooked, but I mean, if you think about it. (laughs) Kind of a rebel. He was like Bernie Madoff probably had like his a portrait of him in his house. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, that's all we have. So this is Juke signing off. This is Mick signing off. <laughs>